and you guys can have a seat. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so unworthy, and you still love us. Thank you for reminding, of, reminding us of that right now. We pray as we look at your promises that everything that we think and say and do would please you, and that you would give us wisdom and courage to live life the way you've designed it and to experience the blessing that only you can give us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Alhambra. 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 I'm glad you guys are here. It's the end of the year, and as we launch into 2014, we can ask all kinds of questions. We can think back. We can say, what brought real satisfaction this year? Do I have any regrets? Or what goals should I set for the new year? I mean, where do I want to be a year from now? Maybe you're asking, will things get any better this next year? Will, will I make progress with my work, with the things that keep me busy all the time? Will I make progress in my relationships? Will they become stronger and sweeter over this next year? Maybe you're just asking one of the basics. What will make me happy? There's also a question people asked for about half a minute this year. You may still be wondering about what does the fox say? You can think more about that if you need to. But in this message, we are anticipating some awe and even some disbelief because we are asking the question, can that be true? The Bible makes some really astonishing claims. We could develop a much longer series looking at some of the claims it makes, and we could look at questions like, is it really true that people have a deep, a great purpose for their lives? Is it really true that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, and did he really rise from the dead? Is God actually active in our lives today? If you're wondering about any of those questions, I've been there too. I mean, I've sat there and listened to talks and thought, well, that would make sense if I believed the Bible. I'm just not sure yet. If you are exploring, if you're trying to figure out, if you're investigating, welcome. We are really glad you're here. You've found a place where you can connect with people, where you can develop friendships, and you can explore at your own pace. So we are, we're glad you're here, and we hope that you will find, as many of us have, that Jesus makes all the difference. Now, in this series, for the next couple of weeks, today and next week, we're going to look at two things that are, A, high on a lot of people's wish lists, but B, you probably did not find under the Christmas tree a few days ago. Immortality and power. The Bible's claims in these two areas are really shocking. We're going to explore immortality in a few minutes. Look at that today. But before that, I want to rephrase our question. Can that be true might be better expressed as can that be real or can that be true and real? There's this idea, true versus real, that's been really helpful for me. And I just want to talk about it for a second here. There's a lot of things in life that we consider true, but we don't really pay any attention to. They just aren't relevant to everyday life. The Bible might be in that category for you. There's things where it just doesn't cost us anything to agree with them if they're true. We don't have to change our behavior in any way, make different decisions. In fact, we could probably just claim they're false and it wouldn't matter at all. And if you think of some of the big news stories from the past month or so, you can, you can choose one. If you, if you were to assume that it was accurately and objectively reported, that it was true, it still really isn't making probably any real impact on your life. It's true, but it's not really real for you. Your heart may go out in a tragic situation, but the decisions you make day by day are probably not changing because of that. That's been my experience. Now, a big example for me personally was when I decided, I, I went to film school back in the day, and I decided to take out enormous student loans to go to film school. And I am sure that along the way, some people said, you know, 
it's going to be really hard to pay those off. Your life is actually, in a certain sense, going to revolve around those debt payments. You could even say you will be a servant to those payments. But at the time, that was eh, maybe true, not real at all. I had my ideas about what I wanted to do. I did it. And now reality is here. It used to be a friend of mine, not anymore. It is very real and very true. Now, what else could be true and real? How about this? We have something here for you. If you recognize it, you're pretty cool, much cooler than me. That is one of the equations for gravity. I could read it to you. I'd probably read it wrong. It's not the only one. There's others. It's very complicated. I can't explain it. But as you and I both know, as we all know, we cannot ignore the law of gravity. We can't break it. We just break ourselves against it. We can't say, hey, gravity might be true for you, but it's not for me. You know, I can kind of make my own way in this area of life. No, you can't say, I believe I can fly and then actually go and do it. You will hurt yourself very, very badly. Now, I'm spending a lot of time with this idea of true versus real because it is a key factor in how we make decisions in life. We will not make progress in the ways of God if we don't think that what he says is true. However, we also will not make progress with God if we think, yeah, it's true. But deep down in our hearts and our the core of ourselves, where we make our decisions, we kind of think, ah, not really real. doesn't really apply to me. So, today, the end of the year, it's a great time to explore this question. Can that be true and real? Because we're looking at it as, you know, the New Year's a natural time to think about improving our lives, setting goals, getting a fresh start. We just tend to think that way. I mean, we can ask those questions that I mentioned earlier. Um, another thing about the New Year for me is I just love the sense of possibility, I think this is the end of 2013. If I look back a year, my kids were a lot littler. Some things got accomplished during that year. And then I can look ahead and think, the new year has great possibilities too. I'm excited to see what can be done. If I can figure out in a certain area of life how to head in the right direction and then actually move that way, that's really exciting and encouraging. Hopefully you can can relate to that too. And And I love to see progress. The flip side of that though, and this is where the tension, I think, settles in for all of us, is that there is never enough time for everything. There's never enough time for everything. So it can feel really overwhelming or disappointing. I mean, I mentioned film school. You know, I, I like writing scripts and, and creative writing of various kinds. I like acting and directing. And I would love to be doing those things, but when would I do it? Right? I'd have to, like, duplicate myself, find some machine that would clone myself many times because we we can't be in more than one place at a time and we just have a limit. Even if we clear away all the stuff that we kind of recognize isn't that important, we still probably feel like we don't have enough time. And so there's this tension there just kind of with us all the time. We want more. The Bible says that God has put eternity in our hearts. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, The wisest man that ever lived, Solomon, and and by the way, he experienced and did things that you and I will never experience, the kinds of things that we might be tempted to think, hey, if I could do that, I'd be satisfied. And Solomon says, you know what, I did that. I'm not satisfied. So here's what he says here. He says, God, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's hearts, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So there's this sense of eternity in us, this longing for more, longing for God and the things that only he can provide, longing for immortality. And yet at the same time, we cannot see God's whole 
plan, his whole way of arranging things. And so there's a tension there for us. And this, I believe, points to today's theme, immortality. We long for eternity. We're restless because we can't get it on our own. Now, you may have experienced this if you've ever visited the Grand Canyon. That's one way you might experience it. You get there, don't step over, right? And it's just incredible. So much bigger than me. You may have experienced it if you go way out away from the cities and you lie down at night and look up at the stars and you suddenly see thousands and thousands and thousands more than you ever have before. There's just a sense of awe. Another way, this is a little bit different, is have you ever thought, man, I just, I just love these people in my life and I love these people over here in my life and I love those people that live in that other country that are in my life. I wish they could all be together and I wish that they could all appreciate and enjoy each other the way I appreciate and enjoy each of them. I wish they just all lived on my block and somehow they could all still be exactly who they are, but they could also be with me and be together. I don't know, maybe I'm the only one who's thought that before, but to me, that's a really real longing. And I think that also points to this desire for the eternal things and not just the things that we sort of see around us, get distracted by. And you probably have your own examples too. I also think that we're reaching for eternity when we set New Year's resolutions. Something in us wants to improve, wants to progress, to be more than what we are. If you feel that way, I think that's really normal. And so we make these resolutions. We set goals. We, we might, you might be aiming to do something like get out of debt or spend more time with family or get a promotion or read more or exercise more or take on a new challenge or not take on any more new challenges, like learn how to say no, right? Or upgrade the car or buy a house or write more thank you notes, be a better person. The list goes on and on. And what are, we, what are we really hoping for when we try to improve our lives in these ways? I mean, is it for more peace, more fun, more comfort or convenience? Is it for the chance to impress others? Is it for that sense of progress that I mentioned? Is it, maybe it's the sense that if I do this, I will be investing my life in things that really matter. And it could be all of those things. It could be all of the above. We're, we're complicated. We usually have mixed motives. I know I do. The question is, when we set our goals and make our plans, are we doing that in ways that fit in with what is really happening around us? Are we making our goals to line up with reality? Uh, one way to look at it is this. You, you're trying to get somewhere and you think, you know what, it's downriver. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to build a boat. I'm going to learn how to sail. And then I'm going to learn how to navigate the, the rapids. I'm going to go downriver and get to where I want to be. But what if where you're actually trying to go is not downriver at all, but it's upriver? Forget the boat. You probably want to get out of the river and go up on land, and it might be much harder, but the whole point is to get to the destination, right? Nobody arrives someplace and says, yeah, I don't want to be here, but it sure was easy to get here, right? I, I don't want to be here. It wasn't where I planned to be, but you know what? I didn't really have to try to get here. That's just not the way we are. The point is to get to the correct destination. So, again, our question is, are our choices going to line up with reality, with the way God has designed life to operate? Since God created the universe and he holds it together and keeps it in motion by his amazing power, and since he wired us, created us to relate to him and to, to live life connected to him, we want to make sure we are approaching life the way he designed it. We want immortality, but... Immortality is only good if the life that we're living is good. Nobody wants to live forever in mediocrity or anguish or despair. 
But there's good news. God has actually given us a roadmap to this immortality that we long for. And we're going to look today at what one of Jesus' best friends wrote. This is a guy named John. John was one of Jesus' disciples. He was one of the twelve, but he was also one of the three. And I'll give you a little bit of a sense of who he was because I think that helps as we look at what he wrote. One of the three, that means Jesus did things with him and these other two guys, his brother James and a guy named Peter, that nobody else got to see and experience. John was really in his inner circle as Jesus went through life, telling the good news, healing people, helping people. But John did not have it all figured out all the time. You know, he had a nickname, him and his brothers, Sons of Thunder. And some people think that that's because one time somebody came along and John and James felt like the, this guy was disrespecting Jesus. They said, hey, Jesus, do you want us to like tell God to burn that guy to a crisp, to call a fire down from heaven? We'll get him. Of course, Jesus has to rebuke them right, and say, no, that's not my way at all. Right? John did not have it all figured out. Another time, he came with his brother. Sorry, I'm having, we got some user User issues here. Um, he came another time with his brother, and they went to Jesus and they said, Jesus, we know that you're going to be king overall, and you're going to have the most important seat when you get up to heaven, and we just have a small favor to ask. In fact, our mom is here with us. She'd like to ask you too. Um, would you just arrange for us to sit on either side of you when you're in charge of everything up in heaven? And you can imagine what the other ten disciples thought of this kind of a stunt. And of course, again, Jesus had to rebuke them. But as John progressed with Jesus, as he spent more time with him, as he made himself Jesus' student and really lived with Jesus, really walked with him, things started to click. And in fact, when Jesus was dying, he was up on the cross dying. And there was John. And there was Jesus' mother. And Jesus said to John, John, I want you to take care of my mother as if she was your own mother. And what a statement of, of confidence, trust, and this guy who in other, in other times had, had made some goofy mistakes. So we're looking at John today. John wrote a book called The Book of John. And I would love for you to check it out. If you haven't read it or you haven't read it recently, it is a great place to start in the Bible, a great place to go back to in the Bible. He talks about what uh, it means to follow Jesus. He lays it out really clearly. But today we're going to look at one of his letters. He also wrote some letters trying to help the churches as they were figuring out what does it look like, again, in practical, everyday life to follow Jesus. And so he wrote his first one we call First John. And in First John 2, 1, he gives us the reason for writing the letter. He says, my little children, by the way, he was probably pretty old when he wrote this, so I think he gets, he gets to call people little children. I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The point is, don't sin. That's why I'm writing you this. If you do, we have somebody who speaks on our behalf, Jesus. He goes to the Father for us. But what I really, the best thing of all is if you do not sin. Now, sin means missing the mark. You take aim. You're trying to get somewhere, but you miss. That's the picture from the original um, the original words for sin. And so he's saying, I want you to aim correctly and actually hit the mark. Now, you and I have missed the mark so many times. I mean, I have these patterns in me. You probably have them in you. I mean, I just basically want things my way, right? I just want to do things my way. And honestly, I am willing to hurt people to get my way, to do things my way. It could be subtle. It could be obvious. But that's just in me, Right? I also just want more and more stuff. I wander around through life and I see stuff and I think, oh yeah, I want that. I want that. 
And it becomes so distracting. That craving for things can suck me in. I mean, my stuff really masters me, and I don't do the things that really last because before I even realize it sometimes, I'm just wasting my time with stuff. And that just is in me as well. And then finally, I just want to puff myself up. I want to look important. And, you know, honestly, at the expense of others is sometimes what I want. And so this pride, this feeling of wanting to, wanting to feel superior, wanting to be able to boast about the things that I have and the things I do, that goes with me wherever I go. It's a battle. I, I think you can relate to those things. I know John can. Right? He's, he's been there. He's, he's dealt with those things himself. And in this letter, he tells us what to really aim for so that we don't miss the mark. 1 John 2, 15 to 17. This is where you've got to get that question ready. Can that be true? Okay, this is what he says. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and pride and possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away. Right now, we can see it in front of us. Before our very eyes passing away, it will continue to pass away. The world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Is established firmly and then lives forever. Okay, so what does John mean by the world here? There's, there seem to be three senses that the word is used in scriptures. The first is the created world that God made, the, the physical world around us, the universe. Okay, that's not what we're talking about here. Another one is the world of people, humanity, mankind. Now we're, we're told very clearly to love people. That's not what he's talking about here either. He's talking about this third sense of the word world, which is like a system, a, a construct, a, a cultural thing in which we only reference this life and we only reference really material things. And we go after what we want without any real consideration for God or eternity. John's using this definition, and this approach is pretty normal, but he says it is a big mistake. In verse 16, he breaks it down for us. He says, all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, so that's like, I just want to do what I want. The desires of the eyes, I just see things and I want them and I'm going to go after them and try to get them. And pride and possessions. Another, another translation uh, says pride of life. Just the boasting of what we have, the boasting of what we do. These things are not from the Father. They're from the world. And so he warns us, don't follow those things. Don't set your heart on those things. Because here's the deal. The more we pursue these things, the more we run into either despair or distraction. If you really think that material things and the things that John's talking about here, the things of the world, will give you a deep sense of peace and then you never get them, at a certain point I think you're going to realize I will never get that deep sense of peace that I long for. And that is despair. Now you might get some of those things, you might get a lot of them, and you might realize, or maybe never realize, that your whole life is sucked into those things. Well, I have to get this thing, so I'm going to need to make some money to do that. And boy, after a year, it's going to be outdated. I'm going to need to plan to get the new one. And boy, I'm going to have to maintain this. And that just gets multiplied on and on and on as we, as we get more stuff. Or it could be personal ambitions. You know, I'm going to really make a name for myself at work, but uh, it's going to take um, this certain amount of extra work. It goes on and on. And you could do those things and get so distracted as life moves by, our one chance here in this world, and we're not investing in eternal things at all. But it is so easy to head off in that direction. I mean, I mentioned film school before. I, 
I went there. I borrowed all that money to go there. And I had these big dreams, and I had kind of a plan to really kind of be the exception to the rule. I thought, you know, they, they keep telling us that we're not all going to be super famous and successful. I don't get that because I'm sure that I am, right? I mean, I guess there's 50 of us and the other 49 maybe not, but I, I will, and here's my plan. And I sort of followed this plan, and honestly, it worked for a little while. And so I felt pretty good about myself. It's like, well, you know, I don't mean to brag, but I am the only one, blah, blah, blah. And for about a year, maybe a year and a half, that worked. And then, bam, it did not work anymore. And all of a sudden, there was that despair. And I thought, why am I not where I want to be? Why am I not getting what I want? And I really had to wrestle with, well, it's just what I want, isn't it? It may not be at all what God wants. So we can run into that. That's so easy. Another thing that happened at film school, you know, I mentioned I, I like this creative stuff. I'd like to, to write scripts that would actually, people would actually want to, making the movies they'd buy, you know, I could do this professionally, and people would watch them and think, wow, that helps me see life more clearly, or that really inspires me to be more noble, or that really uh, encourages me in the struggles that I have right now. That, that was a real desire of mine. But you know what I would do with my free time? I would do my assignments, but what I really could have been doing is working on those kinds of projects. I had people who would give me feedback and help me with those things. Instead, you know what I would do most of the time? Now, you, you might laugh, you might just quietly think that's pathetic. Honestly, sometimes, guys, I would just play computer games instead. Computer games, Addicts Anonymous. I may need to start that. Okay? It's, it's terrible. It is pathetic. And what I did was, I, it's okay to relax, it's okay to find something to, to unwind sometimes, but I would get sucked in. It's the stuff, the, the desire of the eyes. And I'm just saying, oh yeah, I want to do that. And I would trade a real experience where I could actually make real progress in a goal I had Trade it for a completely fake one. Oh man, I can't wait to get my character to the next level, or I can't wait to explore this part of the game. And it would just go on and on and just draw me in. And so I wasted a lot of opportunities doing that. It's easy to end up that way. Now we have apps on our phones. It's 99 cents, but when it's free, it's like, oh, I got to get it because it's free. But the question is, could you scrape up 99 cents if you really needed to? Probably. And then the other question is, how much are you willing to pay for your time? Because that app could waste 10 hours that you'll never get back. And I've been there too. Like I said, I probably need to start that um, support group. So despair or distraction, that's, a lot of times that's what the world offers. And when we, when we settle for the world's stuff, we are accepting a cheap, pathetic substitute for the real thing. There's a novel called The Joy Luck Club. Um, it's set partly in America and partly in China. And in one of the stories in the book, there's a girl who is in China. Her mom is getting married. She's going to be like the second or third wife. This was, this was back in the day. And as they come into the compound, the first wife, if I remember this right, comes up and says, and she sees the girl and she, she takes off this amazing looking pearl necklace. And she gives it to the girl. She puts it around the girl's neck. And it appears to be the most loving, generous kind thing someone could do to this poor girl who's going into this whole new living arrangement. And later the girl's mom grabs the necklace and the girl, you know, the girl and probably the reader, I remember thinking, whoa, this mom is really jealous. She takes the necklace and she smashes it with a rock or something to show her daughter that they are not real pearls. They're dust, powder now, that they've actually faced a real test of their worth. That's what we accept when we accept the things of the world. 
That, that girl could have gone on for years, decades, thinking she had a real treasure, something of real value, and never realizing that she didn't. And what happened there with the first wife was not an act of love, an act of kindness at all. It was an act of distraction and deception at best. So, verse 17, going back to First John, reminds us the things of this world, like a, a fake pearl necklace, are on their way out. The world is passing away. That means even as we speak. We can see it, right? Things get outdated. They, get, they, they decay. They deteriorate. Things are passing away along with its desires. But, and then we ask again, can that be true? Because John claims to know the secret to eternal life. It says, whoever does the will of God abides forever. This promise is counterintuitive, but John says, John, who knew Jesus better than just about anybody, says, we can abide, we can be firmly established by God right now, starting right now, in this life, and then we can move into eternity with him. As we follow Jesus, he leads us to give our lives to lasting things, things that last forever. And this puts us on very solid ground. But we get a choice. We get to choose. Who are we going to love? What are we going to love? What are you going to love? Are you going to love the stuff of the world or are you going to love doing what God has for you to do? And you can choose to love things of this world that are passing away or we can choose to love doing the will of God. And whatever we invest in, that's what we'll get back. Whatever we plant, that's what we'll harvest. Take a look at Galatians 6, 8. The one who sows to please his sinful nature. In other words, if you go out planting things just to get what you want, from that nature will reap destruction. But the one who sows to please the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, God, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now, as we come to the end of 2013, we can reflect on the past year. We can look back. We might look back and see some things that we planted the wrong things. And if so, we have the opportunity to make it right, learn, and then press on. God offers incredible grace and forgiveness. And as we plan for 2014, I encourage you, choose solid ground. Set yourself goals that allow you to invest in lasting things, things that will last forever. There's a story of a couple guys who went to look for gold back in the, the gold mining days, and they struck gold but they were up, I think they were up in Alaska, and it was really cold, and they, they sort of knew, you know, we need to get some stuff ready for the winter. But they had struck gold, and they had a sense that there was more gold right there, and so they kept digging for gold every day. They needed to prepare for the winter, and they didn't. And finally, right at the end, this guy wrote, one of the guys wrote in his journal, this was a big mistake. We didn't prepare, and we're about to die. You know what? They found the journal and the gold by the corpses. You may have heard of a guy named J.D. Rockefeller. Incredibly, incredibly wealthy man. And there's a story about him where after he died and they were looking at his, his accounts, his estate and everything, somebody asked, hey, how much did J.D. leave? And somebody else answered, he left all of it. Now contrasting to that, imagine a man who has ambitions and he sees the things around him and he wants them and he goes after them for a long time. As a kid, he... He tries hard. He gets soccer trophies. And as he grows up, he works hard at work. He gets promotions. He gets awards. He really gets a lot of recognition. 
And then one day, he has a dream, and in the dream, he goes, he finds himself in a junkyard, and he's looking around, all this junk, it's disgusting. It's rusty, it's gross, it doesn't smell good. Nobody would want any of it. And he looks, and he's like, oh, look at that, my soccer trophy from when I was a kid, that's kind of weird. Well, I guess I don't need that anymore anyway. And then he keeps looking around, and he sees an award that he got the, the day before. He had just gotten a new award. He sees an, a new electronic gadget that he had bought with the bonus that he had just gotten for the award. And there it is in the junkyard with the rest of the stuff that he'd worked so hard to accumulate. And this guy wakes up, and somehow, through that dream, he is able to start to cooperate with God and the stuff the ambition that had grabbed on and had a grip on him for so long starts to actually loosen its grip on him. And he's able to sense a really deep sense of peace and joy and contentment that he hadn't had before. How do we get to be like, like that guy? Right? Well, we, we can't make real progress without the right resources. We need, we need something other than ourselves. We've already looked at how it's so easy to go the world's way. The ultimate and actually the only real resource is ours if we're willing. It's Jesus Christ. We cannot live forever without Jesus. He's the only one who has the power to rescue us from our pitiful, disastrous rebellion. And he's the only one with the power to guide us through this broken, corrupted, decaying world. Look at what he says. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, 27 to 30. He says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. In other words, I'm in charge of everything. And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. In other words, if you want to get to God, you get to God through me. I'm in charge of everything, and you get to God through me. And then he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The idea of the yoke is you can get it hooked on and you can pull that load as hard as you can by yourself, but if you take Jesus' yoke, you're teamed up with him, and he pulls with you, and that makes all the difference. So when John wrote, don't love the world or anything in it, and we think that is impossible, I've tried that and I've never been able to do it. Jesus is ready to walk with us every step of the way. He says, follow me. Learn from me. Walk with me. And we'll move into eternity together. And that's the offer that he makes to each of us. If you don't know him yet, if you haven't made Jesus your boss, trusted him with your life to where he's going to call the shots, he's knocking on the door right now. God wants to speak to you right now as you listen. You can invite him in, and it will make all the difference as you move forward. If you've already made Jesus your king, here's the question for you. Here's the question for me. When Jesus called people to follow him, do you think he had more in mind than what you're experiencing right now? Do I think he had more in mind by following him than what I'm experiencing right now? Because we don't want to miss out. I want to end with that same passage. This is a paraphrase. I love the way it says it here. Don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. 
practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from him. The world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on its way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. As we wrap up today, there's some next steps you may want to take. You can invite the bands to come on up and get ready for some more music. We talk about next steps every week. Uh, We really want the Bible to be practical. We want our time together here to make a practical difference in our lives. We don't just want to talk and then sort of go about things that distract us, things that take us down. So we're looking at next steps, and here's some you may want to consider. You may have one of your own, or you may want to take one of these. First, you could pray this week and ask God to show you where you may be holding on to things that won't last. You also might want, if you're planning for the new year, you might want to set goals with eternity in mind. Another thing you could do that would be really helpful is to memorize 1 John 2.17. And we memorize God's word and store it in our hearts and then we, we go back to it, thinking about it, meditating on it. It really, really helps in a practical way as we face the distractions and the decisions of life. So you could memorize 1 John 2.17 this week to remind you that the stuff that we so often go after is not going to last. Another step you might take today, if you haven't before, is to commit your life to Jesus Christ for the first time. We would love to give you help with that, to answer any questions you might have. And again, it will make all the difference as you move forward. Next week, we're going to take a closer look at the power that God offers us through his son Jesus. And we hope to see you then. We hope that you'll join us as we look again at, can that be true? Do we really get that kind of power? Let's pray together. God, I struggle with these things repeatedly. I I tend to think that everybody else has more than me and that I I, uh, am doing okay because of that comparison, and that's just not true. And um, I get distracted and and put my time and my heart into things that are just of no value at all. And I I could be investing in lasting things. And I ask you, for me and for everybody here, would you please help us to have your perspective on the things that we do, the things we pursue, the way that we look at the world around us so that we can experience more and more the life that you say is really life, true and real, and that will be a blessing to the people around us and secure us and others for all eternity. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.